You're listening to a message from Grace Church in Frisco near Dallas, Texas. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Grady Van Wright, lead pastor of Sovereign Grace Church in Pearland near Houston. Here's Craig Cabanis to introduce our speaker. Well, I've known Grady for uh, over 20 years, and Sonia, Ginger and I have known them for over 20 years. And that's a shock, you know, given that Grady and I are both about 30. Uh, that, wow, that wasn't very funny, man. But yeah, we've known each other a lot of years. And Grady, uh, in the church where he is, he's pastored there for 22 years. And so he has been, and this was so beautiful because at the small group leaders conference, they had some people with them that had been leading a small group for 18 years in the church. Another couple I met that was about 18 years. So it's a church with some deep roots where people have served together. They got a lot of new people too, but people serve together that long. Um, and I, Grady, I just honor you for your faithful service of tending God's sheep at the same place. Uh, caring for folks and the new folks he would bring to you. But there's a tenure in, in, a, in a pastor's, when he serves faithfully over a period of time, there's a, a value to that kind of tenure is what I'm trying to say because you're there when the babies are born. He's uh, seen people grown up, married them, uh, done funerals for people and their family members, counseled folks through difficult times and saw God break through. And you've been there for a long time in people's lives with no plans to go anywhere else. And I just want to elevate that value. And, and everybody's not called to stay in the same place. I've been in three churches. Uh, I wasn't asked to leave, but I planted two. But I've been in three churches since Grady uh, has been in this one church since I've known him. And uh, brother, I, I respect you for that. And we all uh, respect the value of faithful service in good times and bad times. Grady's a man of wisdom, and uh, he's, a, he's been a dear friend, but I love to interact with you, um, because whenever I'm interacting with you, I feel like I'm getting, and you're going to experience this in a minute, but I feel like I'm just getting wisdom from the Lord, whether you're talking about your kids and being a father or as a pastor, um, uh, I'm always learning from you, whether you're talking about scripture or culture or history or any number of things. Um, there's just a wisdom that, that is from the Lord, and it's because you fear the Lord and you've applied yourself uh, to his word, and you've applied yourself in the same spot over the long haul, applying his word to his people. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to count you as a dear friend. And uh, I'm going to be quiet because I want everybody to hear from you as you open God's word to us today. So thank Thanks, Sonia. Thanks as well for being away from your kids and you guys sticking around for the weekend. We love you guys. And let's welcome Grady as he brings God's word to us this morning. Well, thank you. Um, After Craig's gaffe this morning, first service, and speaking of hangover, people who are here as a result of a hangover, you know, whatever. well, I just wanted to inform the congregation that I stayed over as well, and, and I'm not hungover. I'm still flying high. I'm still, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, thank you, Craig, for just your, your words of uh, encouragement and, and, and honoring um, longevity in one place. But uh, today affords me the opportunity to be able to, to honor Craig. Um, and as he talked about just, I 
pastoring at three different churches in, in, in the history of his pastorate. And that's one of the things I would want to honor him over is, is his willingness and his heart in deserving and sacrifice, uh, rather, in, in serving us as, as a body of churches um, with his extra-local ministry. Um, and I want to honor you as a church for sharing your pastor with us. Um, the region has benefited so much because of his sacrifice and, and serving beyond his local context. And so we, we're the beneficiaries of that in, in, in Houston and in Midland and, you know, in El Paso, all the other churches in our region. So again, we, we all benefit from that. Uh, and we just love the hospitality your church showed the region just over the weekend and inviting us in and letting us have use of your facility was quite a blessing. And so I am so excited about being here. I've longed to be here and meet you just to be able more than anything else to communicate our gratitude and for your sacrifice and sharing your pastor with us. So thank you so much. Well, I understand that you are in or dealing with the topic of love. If you have your Bibles, open up. Perhaps I can make some small contribution to what the Spirit is doing with you and through you. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 through 11. I'm going to read these passages and then we're going to take a moment and just kind of pray here. Uh, I'm not accustomed to doing two services on a Sunday morning, but I know that God provides mercy on a daily basis. I'm just going to go to him and ask him um, for mercy service by service. How about that one? Just see if we can get double our share of mercy for the day that's allotted. But let's turn to scripture and pray. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Lord, we adore your word and, and we thank you for, for this glorious account, God. You are a gracious God. And we thank you for your holy word that is before us that you have sustained throughout all history, Lord. And you have committed to sustain forever. What a privilege it is to delve into it now. And so, Lord, we, we recognize, though, our limitations, our inability, Lord, the, to, to comprehend, to apprehend, Lord, your desire through this word apart from your spirit. So we pray, Spirit, come and anoint the preaching and the hearing of the word this morning, Lord, that your people might be blessed, that your sheep might be fed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Love can be an intimidating topic, can it not? As a matter of fact, unless God himself is teaching on it, it, it has an intimidating feeling. Because we all are aware of our, of our challenges in this area, the limitations we have in this area. It's very difficult to, to, to love. It's very difficult to do the very thing that is not even compatible with our flesh. Um, and yet God, through his love, reached down to us, saved us. We were born again. And then he conveyed his love to us. 
in a way that we can appreciate, we can understand. And then he tells us to share that love. And we want to kind of go through that this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. You're going to receive a lot of teaching on love. But I just want to maybe offer some thoughts on it this morning that might be a blessing to you, might serve you. John encouraged them in the opening part of the passage there, verse verse one, uh, or verse, uh, verse seven, verse four rather. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And then he spends the rest of the time in the, in, 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 uh, until verse eleven, really unpacking that that statement, that command, that mandate. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. That's where I would want us to to get to this morning to appreciate the command in the context that it's given. Notice from the outset that the command is appropriately sandwiched between two realities. One, the reality of our position in God. And then two, the reality of our dependence upon God. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. That's an appropriate place to place the commandment to love. Those two realities should always orbit that command in our thinking. When we think about the command to love one another, two things should orbit that. One is our position in God, and two, our dependence upon God. I'm convinced that when we find it very difficult to love, it's because we are suffering from some eclipse of those two realities. We've lost sight of our position in God, the fact that we are the beloved of God. Or we've lost sight of this reality that love comes from God. We are dependent upon the source of love. Both realities are essential to walking this command out. And embracing both of those realities are essential. And that's what we want to kind of unpack this morning and talk about this morning, the importance of embracing those two realities. Clearly, it is very difficult to love if we feel that we are deprived of love in any way. And so from the outset, God calls us to the reality of our position before him. The other reality protects us from ever believing that we can love from ourselves. That we can love from our own resources. That we're not dependent upon the source of love. That love is from God. It protects us from the idea that at any point in our Christian walk that God would transfer in such a way love to us that we would no longer need to access him in order to be able to love. If you've been waiting on that to happen, I want to challenge you that that's not in the design of God to happen. I mean, I just would want to wake up one morning and be a loving man, right? And then love just comes from me. And I can say, thank you, Lord, for finally completing the transfer. It doesn't happen that way. We're forever dependent upon Him 
to convey love. Love is from God. So both our dependence and both our position should ever be before us. So let's look to that. First of all, we want to want to look to the idea that, that we first need to see the believer as the object of God's love before we talk about the obligation to love and then finally the origin of love. So those three things we're going to talk about this morning. The believer as the object of love. The command is given to those who are described as the beloved. What a wonderful description. He doesn't just simply say, go out and love one another. But he say, beloved. You who are experiencing being loved by God. You are loved. This addresses the first inadequacy that we can feel when attempting to love someone. You've heard it probably voiced this way. How can I love when I've not been the object of love or the recipient of love? Come from a difficult background. Come from a home that didn't really show affection. No one really loved me. I've come from broken relationships, broken homes, whatever the case may be. And I've never experienced being loved. How can I love? That can be a real impediment to loving someone. But this position we have before God addresses that. And let me tell you, it addresses it definitively. We are loved by God. John first wants them to be very much aware of that reality. To embrace that reality with everything that's in them. Now certainly, John calls them the beloved. Certainly, this designation describes his affection for the people. But it also describes God's affection for them. More importantly, it describes God's affection for them in verse 11. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Immediately goes to the idea that we are beloved of God. And if he so loves us then we ought to love one another. Success of the entire enterprise to love one another is dependent upon an assurance of God's love. Are you, are you sure? Are you positive? Can you be sure that God loves you in such a way, in such a way that totally satisfies? Well, We need to have that in order to love someone, to love our brother, to love our sisters. He makes the case in the text that since God loves them, they ought to love one another. This love can only be discovered in the one and only place it has ever been displayed. So I can can take you to the place. Let me take you to the place this morning. Where God shows definitively his love for you. Once you see it, it can never be improved upon. It is the only place that God is committed to demonstrate and show his love. You know, we can be tempted to look to so many other places to find his love, right? Bank accounts don't quite deliver it, right? Good or bad. I know you can feel loved when the bank account is full. But it's not the place that God conveys it. I know that you can feel unloved if it's not. That's not the place that God conveys it. 
we can look at our medical charts, it's not a good place to look. You can receive a clean bill of health, and that doesn't communicate God's love. We can glorify him for his care, and, and, and really, but God never points us to that place. No, he takes us to the cross. And he makes it very clear that that's where he demonstrates, that's where he shows, that's where he communicates his love. But God's, and this is Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the means by which he used to convey his love for us. The father gave his son, whom he loved, to die for our sins. There are mysterious things in Christianity. There are mysterious concepts. There are things we don't understand about God. Um, there's a lot of mystery wrapped up in the ways of God and, and how God, why God does things. There, there are times when we, we don't know why God is doing what he's doing, but we believe in faith that what he's doing, he's doing for our good. And we've learned to embrace that, which is a, a wonderful thing. But I never want to assign mystery to something that the word does not assign mystery to. I don't struggle with why God saved me. That's not a mystery. Sometimes we can speak as though it is, right? We will say things like, I don't know why God saved me. I do. I know. Because he loved you. The Bible's very clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He made his motives clearly known. We have his motive. Now there is a mystery involved in why he loves me. <laughs> but why he saved me, no. There's no mystery there. The Bible is very clear. He loved you. While you were yet in sin... He loved you. And he gave his son to die for you. Never assign a mystery to that. Never assign a mystery to that. Embrace it with everything in you. And, and, and be aware of how deep that love is. How compelling of a story that is. There was a theologian and he says it this way. He, and it's a little difficult to swallow at first. <laughs> But it seems to make rational sense eventually to suggest, he said, that God would give his only son, whom he loved, to die for your sins because he loved you. One could almost suggest he loved you more than his son. Isn't that difficult to get our arms around? But it makes perfect sense if we demonstrated that same sort of love. If you were to give your son a daughter for me because you loved me, it would almost be reasonable to conclude that you must love me more than the one you sacrificed. The father has a deep love for you that he would give his son to die. And he wanted to convey it through this channel, through this means of salvation, through this sacrificial death of his son, because he wanted you to get it, how much he loves you.
so we are. We are filled with love of God. It is appropriate in Scripture to refer to the believer as the beloved. That that is your position before God. There is no mystery surrounding your position before God. He loves you. That's enormous. And we should grab our put our arms around that and embrace it with everything that's in us. It can only be discovered at the cross. It can only be conveyed at the cross. That's how deep the Father's love is for you. It will, it will never be any less and it will never be any more. In fact, it will be steadfast and unchanging. That's glorious. We, we are the beloved. As believers, there may be many things we lack. The love of God isn't one of them. Never one of them. There are so many things that we may not have. So many deficiencies. But we are not deficient in the love of God. Not deficient in His love. So we can say our proverbial love cup runneth over. It's not half full. You're not running on empty. It runs over. It's overflowing. God loves you. Beloved, he says, let us love one another. There is an obligation. There is an obligation to love one another based on this glorious position we have with God. He loves us. The command has an immediate view, fellow believers, according to the context of Scripture, because he gets to the idea in 1 John 4, 20 through 21, where he says, and this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So it, it, this deals with our love for brothers and sisters fellow believers. Now we are to love everyone in the world and there is a love that we do have and should have that is reflective of God's love for us, for everyone in the world. But uniquely here, he's talking about fellow believers and he's honing in there. Beloved, so everybody's loved by God. Love one another. That's loved by God. fellow believers are uniquely qualified to be loved. I want to talk about the unique qualifications they have to, to be loved. Well, because they are loved by God. They, they, they are clearly the objects of his love. Believers are to grow in affection with one another, irrespective, irrespective of where we are in the sanctification process. And there's the rub, Right? There's the difficulty that, that can happen. That, okay, you might say it's easy to love God. It's difficult to love my brother and sister for the obvious reasons. We would, we would think obvious reasons. But I suggest to you it's not, it wouldn't be any, it's not any easier. It, uh, uh, listen to what he says here. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. See, we are dependent upon God to love him. 
We, we need God's help to love Him who is perfect, has no sin, has no deficiencies. That's amazing to me that we need His help. That's how bad we are. <laughs> to love perfect being. How much more we need His help to love the imperfect that we relate to. So it's not as easy as believing I could love someone easier if they were lovable. God is eminently lovable. And yet our hearts don't necessarily gravitate to loving Him. It doesn't. It doesn't. And He says, never make that mistake. You didn't first love me. I first loved you and changed you and equipped you. And now you love me. We have to draw upon that same Father to love one another. But there is an obligation to love fellow believers irrespective of where they are in the sanctification process. And I know that can be difficult for us, but not impossible. But very possible because of God's work and because of the fact that he is the source. Again, you see, he loved us while we were yet sinners. And he loves us while we are yet saints seeking to be sanctified. Again, this is the reason why we, we have to depend. When we're talking about loving one another, we're talking about God's kind of love for one another. His love is not like our love for one another. His love takes into account that a person is a sinner. That's how he saved us, while we were yet in sin. He takes that into account. Doesn't surprise him, it's not a requirement. He takes that into account. He simply puts his love on a sinner in that way. And he saves him. And he loves him the same throughout that entire process. He loves him the same. He loves the saint as much as he loved him while he was yet a sinner. He loves her while she is yet a saint pursuing sanctification. And so we are to love one another, right? As we pursue sanctification. You see, we should resist any notion that God's love is, is, is reserved for the finished product. It's not reserved for the finished product. It's not like one day we'll stand before God fully changed, fully sanctified, and he says, oh, now oh, I love you. Yeah, I love you now. Oh, I love you. What, there, what is there in you to not love right now? Right? That's not God. That's not Him. He loves you through the entire process the same. The steadfast love of the Lord is forever. Steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Follows you throughout the entire walk of your life. It never changes. Never varies. I used to believe that that was the source of God's enduring us. Was the was the one day the knowledge of our change. <laughs> That's not it. Bible doesn't seem to back that up. 
He places his love upon us and it remains. And it follows us all the way through. And we can sense and feel and embrace that love all the way through. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, Paul described it this way. He says, in love, he predestined us. And in those five words, so much about God's love is communicated. Notice it didn't say, it said in love, he predestined us. It did not say he predestined us to be loved. In love, he predestined us. And that love never changed. And he has plans for us. He will change us. He will conform us. But his love for us never changes through that process. Oh, that is the kind of the rub of the commandment. We are called to love one another that way. Now, if that doesn't let you know you need God to do it, I don't know what. Because that kind of love and communicating love in that way to one another while we're making this journey, that requires the love of God. Love to come from God, not, not from us. No way we can do that. Psalms 136. And I'm just going to leave that with you to read. But read the entirety of the psalm in Psalms 136. Take time to do that and see God's love. See, see God's love travel with Israel in the, way, in, this song, in the way this song communicates. I think more like 26 times in this song, the psalmist states, God's love endures forever as he walks Israel through. And then he says, even at their low estate, God's love endures forever. Never changes. When they're on the mountain, it never changes. When they're here, it never changes. I want you to embrace that about God's love, the, the unchangeableness of that love. We love in such a way, if we love in such a way that it's reserved for the finished product, that is not God's kind of love. Husband should not say of his marital relationship, I want a wife I could love. A wife should not say of her husband, I just want a husband I could love. You have a husband and a wife that you can love with the love of God, with the love that comes from God. You have one that you can love. There's an exercise that uh, I like to do sometimes when I'm trying to see two people reconciled, two believers reconciled, and some offenses that may have happened or occurred. And, and I like to pull them in often. I'll just start with a question you know, what do you think? I'll talk to the offended and I'll say, what do you think that such and such really deserves for doing to you what they've done to you? Not a question we often think about when we're in conflict with one another, right? We never, think, we never really sit down and think through, what is it do I think that they deserve for doing what they did to me? It's a great question to ask. It's a great question, place to start. And the number one answer that I typically get back initially is this. I want them to show remorse for what they've done. And they'll be a little surprised at my response to that. I'll say, that's all? That, that's all? I mean, would you consider 
the death penalty just too excessive? And he was, he was saying, of, of course. I was like, I've got to ask, this is Texas, you know. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you consider the death penalty excessive? And they would say, of course not. But, 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 would you, but would, would the death penalty more than atone for their offense that they've committed against you? I mean, wouldn't it, though, wouldn't it, wouldn't it thoroughly atone for it? Wouldn't it be more than enough? And you see where I'm going with this. And he would say, yeah, it would be more than enough. That's exactly what has happened. Christ saw their sin and their offense for you, you know, towards you. It was one of the ones he died for on the cross. He didn't, the father did not believe that it deserved simple feeling of remorse. He believed that it deserved death. And his son came and died. What have we done together? But just go to the cross together, right? To see God's work on our behalf and on the behalf of a fellow saint. God's love has not changed for this individual. He's gone to the cross. He's died for them. All sin deserves death. He paid the price. We want to remind one another of that in conflict, right? So that we're not just simply, we, we, we feel like we can't show love to this person because they're so undeserving of our love. Let's admit that and confess that and say, now has that been dealt with? In our faith and in our belief, it has been. The connection I'm making isn't a stretch. When Jesus died for you and me, he saw the sins that we committed, all the sins we will commit, and all the sins we were currently committing when he died for us. You know, you get my point here is that everything he is aware of, there's no sin that escaped his notice and his cross covered all of those sins. So we access that cross and that kind of reconciliation when those times come. Jesus paid more than you or I could ever require of the person that's offended us. So our love for them is not contingent upon their repayment to us. Our love for them flows from the repayment that Jesus Christ made for them. Right. And he paid. Can I require more of my Savior for my sister? Can I require more of my Savior for my brother? require any more than he has done and that has been satisfactory so we have this command to love our fellow brothers and sisters love the beloved know that they are loved by God access that and bring the cross to bear Well, let's talk about the origin of love. That's what we're going to wrap up with, the origin of love. Believers were not required or ordered to conjure up love from their own resources. We said that earlier. No. John reminds them that love is from God. I love that preposition. We're not even to love them with the love of God. It says to love 
Love is from God. It comes from God. Love that must be accessed. Accessed from God. It comes from Him and not from us. Not from us. And we need to resist any idea that it will ever come from us. We will not become sanctified to su- in, in such a way, to such a place, to such a state, that love now, our love that emanates from us, will be sufficient to carry out this command. Never. Love is from God. It starts with Him. Now this is a real thing we have to resist. I'm convinced of that. It's a real thing that we have to resist. We can believe that the transfer has occurred and we'll get in trouble with that. And from our lips, we can easily affirm that love is from God. But in our actions, we are ever attempting it to come from us and being frustrated by it. I'll tell you what I mean. You ever felt frustrated after you've just loved someone so much, so much, so much and got nothing in return? That's what our love will do. God's love is inexhaustible. We're talking about a love from God. We're talking about a love that has no, there's no possible way to even measure it. An inexhaustible love. A reservoir that's ever flowing. You ever felt that you came to the end of your reservoir and you know what that felt like? So much investment. So much love I've shown them. And they never, ever responded to my love. This is how a powerful and almighty God can love the world. He can love the world. Even though the world don't so love him. And he never runs out of love to give to the world. Isn't that amazing? But we can run pretty low pretty quick when we're tapping into our reservoir. That's how I know when I'm in my reservoir. I know I'm in God's reservoir when I just feel satisfaction that I have shown them the love of God. I've shown them the love of God. And I can show them the love of God tomorrow. And I can show them the love of God day after tomorrow. But I know I'm in my own reservoir when I'm thinking, okay, this is getting to be fruitless. I'm getting tired here. I got to see something. (laughs) I'm in my own. That's how you can detect when you're in your own. Because love is from God. We're dependent on God. That is a dependence there. And we've, we've kind of described what his love looks like and where it emanates from and how he communicates it. It certainly doesn't start with us. It starts with God. And this is love that we have, uh, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. Never believe that We even loved him from our own reservoir. We love him from his. Jesus. Let me talk about a little bit a little bit about this because I've described this this idea that that love is from God. But what can be challenging to us? It it, It was challenging to us when we looked at loving one another in light of sins. That's challenging. But what's challenging about this concept of 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 Love is from God. One of, the, one of the main challenges there is that how do, how do I get that? How do I pull that down? How do I access it? You know, 
What conduit does he use to, to, to flow this love? How do, how do we have access? And this is where Peter goes. Well, not Peter, I'm sorry. John goes to help us because accessing this love is not impossible. It is, it is definitely possible. Tell you what you will need. You will need faith. Can we, can we pray for some of that? We'll need faith. Now let's read. Let's read what he has to say about it. He says, love is from God. And then he goes on to unpack it. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You can love because you have been born again. There is a conversion that has occurred. You are a new creature. You have been born again. It is mysterious how all of that works out. But by virtue of the fact that you are born again Christian, you have access. Apply your faith that you have access. You have access to this love because you have been born of God. You know God through that conversion. I said this earlier in the first, uh, first part of the service, earlier this morning. It can be very tempting when you, when you feel condemnation, when you feel like you're not doing what you're supposed to do as a Christian and you feel that condemnation and a thought comes to you, oh, I'm born again. I'm going through this stuff and I'm born again. This is not what a born again believer is supposed to do. They're not supposed to do. And you can feel condemned by that. But notice where John goes. He says, you can access love because you are born again. Do you know that's your hope? That is your hope. You, don't be condemned by the hope. It'd be better to say, oh, I failed at this. Oh, I didn't do this well. Oh, I missed a mark here. Oh, I sinned in this way. But I'm born again. I know God. Therein is your hope. You have been born of God. You have been regenerated. You can get right back up. Yes, I can love. Why? Because I'm born again. I have access. I have access to the Father. I have access to the Son. I have access to His love. It comes from a God that I know. Can you please do that? Never be condemned because you are born again and you sin. Be encouraged. And let your strength draw from the fact that you are born of God. You can. So He says, whoever... Whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God. Ah, anyone who does not love does not know God. The person who has no access, no ability, no way to convey, no way to have any access to this love, that's a person that doesn't know God. A person who is not born again does not apply to the believer. They have access and should have hope for that access. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Isn't that encouraging as well? That you have access to love, to real love. You have access to it. God is love. 
We, that's why we can't just, love can't flow from us. We, we, we are acting loving. You get that, right? We are doing acts of love. We are, we are being loving. God is love. And so it can be said when we're, we're and, and it's okay. That's all right. That's all right because God is God. Right? It's okay that we can say God is love and we are not love. But we have access to God. He dwells in us. And it's the love of God that flows through us. Glory be to God. Right? We can do that. He is our source. He is what we go to. He is where love actually flows. He is love. He's not acting lovingly. He is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. That we might live, and you're going to see another preposition there, right? Through him. See, this union we have with Christ gives us this glorious hope of living through him. Through him. This can happen. It is a mysterious thing. I find, I find that it can be very frustrating when witnessing to someone and they get into this idea of wanting you to explain specifically being born again. You know, they want specifics about it. Kind of like Nicodemus wanted. You know, he just kind of went straight to the natural and said, well, can a man enter in his, back into his mother's womb and be born again? That, that sort of thing. And Jesus said, and he described a born again experience. Um, let me just turn there and see if, we, see if you can get it, because uh, you might be able to help me. I'm going to appeal to your wisdom. I'm going to appeal to your insight. John, yeah, chapter 3. And Jesus goes on to explain it. John chapter 3. Here we go. And I'll start at verse 7. He says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear, its, you hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or whence it goes. So is it everyone who is born of the Spirit. It doesn't describe the Spirit, it, it describes the born-again experience. Did you get it? I don't. There is, there is mystery there. It's hard to describe that conversion, but there are benefits associated with that experience that by faith we embrace. So it says that I can love my brother and sister because I'm born again. That experience matters. I am born again in faith. I believe I can do it. Have hope to do it. God conveys his love through Christ in us, in our relationship with him, we live through Christ and convey this love. I can't explain how it happens, but I believe it. I put my trust there. And I want you to put your trust there. It requires faith to access this love. It requires it. There's no buttons to push. It's just belief. There is a believing of it. Listen to how Jesus described it in John 15, 9. And I'm going to close with just meditation on this, this particular passage in John 15, 9, where Jesus described it this way. And I want you to see the privilege of this. See. See what you're, you're brought into. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That is absolutely profound. Just, this is, this is Jesus speaking. Just as the Father, God, loved me, so have I loved you. Do you see what you've been invited into? The love of the triune God. A love that before this time was so exclusive. This eternal love that the Son has had for the Father and the Father for the Son. And the Spirit. This love that they shared within the triune God has now been extended. You have been included. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. We've been included in the love trinity. That's huge. That is so very huge. Not simply a love that's even simply from the triune God, but the love of the triune God abides in us. And that love can love anyone at any time, regardless. That love can love one another. That love can be shared. That love can be demonstrated. That love is everlasting. That love's eternal. That love will never disappoint. It will never disappoint. The love of the triune God. This was my only hope to be a Christian, really. In the first service, there are a lot of things that can prove to be very daunting about the faith when you're an unbeliever looking into it, right? And there are certain behaviors, certain deficiencies, certain sins that you're more aware of in your own life than than others, and and they, they can be sin that just creates such an obstacle for you to become a Christian because you're just so aware of them, right? For some people, it could be drugs, it could be, act, it could be whatever, party lifestyle, whatever it may be. Mine was always love. I, started, I could never do that. I could never, ugh. yeah, loving, so I, I don't have that. I'm not able to do that. So you can, you can understand how liberating it was for me to know I wasn't required to do that. that Jesus has given me a love that he received from the Father and enjoyed in the triune God. And that love abides in me. And I found that love. Can just, I can do it. I can do it. And you can do it. And you can do it. May God give you grace. May he give you faith and belief. You have access Draw upon it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website, gracechurchfrisco.org.